0: The first paper is a collaboration between Manchester Business School and the University of Amsterdam and it will be presented by Julie Fraud and Eva Engelgen. Um After that, Lance Seabrook will talk about embedded liberalism, I think a perennial concept or not perennial, but the last 20 odd years in IPE and finally um, Anastasia nesbitei from City University London will talk about um, artificial liquidity. So, Okay, thanks, Lena. Um, I think the, the paper is, is unusual. Um, it's the first time Maybold and my team have written together. It's also slightly unusual for both of us in that we're presenting something that's basically conceptual, not empirical. And I start to feel a bit anxious about it, not having any tables or diagrams or any numbers at all. So you have to bear with us. What we're trying to do is to develop some... Um, new and hopefully instimulating ideas about financial innovation, its discourses, its processes, its significance and it has relevance not only to the current state of the crisis but also to the period before and hopefully to the period afterwards as well. So really we're interested in looking at how the term financial innovation has been used in recent years and it's been used quite widely by different groups of people, by the media, by regulatory and policy um, discourses, by academics of quite a surprisingly wide range. Um, I'm interested in the idea about foresight and hindsight. The first quote is quite interesting because this very really very much signs up, um, gives some idea about um, foresight. It's typical of the orthodoxy on financial innovation. There's this assertion, intellectual capital of Wall Street, doing something new, doing something radical, and the proof is, we were making so much money. So there's an assertion that it's new, it's important, it's successful, and the proof is in the money making. And that was very much the orthodoxy up to quite recently. The second quote show is from six months back, and it seems like an awful long time back. Um, a slight sense of unease maybe it's all gone a bit too far you know we all agree it's basically a good thing but maybe we've had a little bit too much of it and it seems like you know ancient history now the last quote comes from monday morning and um, some of you know john malton an outspoken private equity principal in the uk who basically said interviewed on the today program we don't want innovative banks you know we don't want this anymore so it's quite a big shift from it's gone a bit too far to we don't want it and i think malton is always Somebody who likes um, giving his opinion, so it's by no means a consensus view, but it shows quite an interesting shift on this notion of innovation and what it's all about. So, what's the paper? What's our paper about? Well, it's um, in two two parts. The first part is a kind of retrospect about the, you know, which has some relation, I think, to the crisis, but we don't want to solely base the paper on the crisis. It's, you know, we started working on this before the crisis, hopefully, it has some enduring relevance. But really interested in the idea of a crisis of innovation, which is what much of the public discussion is about, as much as the crisis crisis for innovation. This whole so is innovation itself now in crisis? Will innovation come through? What's going to happen next? So we're interested in the changing verdicts on financial innovation and in particular this idea that we had too much of a good thing. Um, then we'll then talk about some of the concepts of financial innovation in, in um, different areas of, of finance and social science. And then we turn to our sort of more um, our argument about what is financial innovation is about, how can we understand it in terms of a macro frame, some structural conditions, a meso field, the conjunctural opportunities and micro agency where we're focusing on bricolage, not coming back to the theme of this conference, rationality. So that's what Avell will be focusing on later on and I'm going to talk about the, um, the first part. Okay, if we look at, um, say, the, the pre-crisis verdict on financial innovation, we get these kind of very, what's very familiar kind of justificatory narratives about financial innovation. We were told a lot about the marketisation of risk, the democratisation of finance, the social <coughs> gain that came out of these things. So, typical quotes from Ben Bernanke in 2007, great benefits, the OECD, <coughs> democratisation of finance. And I was very interested yesterday in Will Hutton because Will Hutton, at one point, coupled securitisation with the internal combustion engine and the internet. <laughs> he, you know, he 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 saw this very much as a kind of some kind of radical innovation which would have social transformative effects. I think that's a very interesting. Way. Even though he's very hostile, very critical of what's going on, he still sees this as being fundamentally innovative in a way that, um, you know, has quite a lot in common with um, some of the finance theorists. So this is the pre-crisis narrative about financial innovation as being a good thing. Um, the post-crisis narrative is obviously rather different. And the dominant post-crisis, post-crisis narrative up to this week, at least, was this kind of idea, the Goldilocks thing. Well, we can have a, too little of it. We can have too much of it. What we're trying to do is get the right amount of it. And as the crisis has worn on, you can see that the tone of this debate has changed a little. So the IMF writing about a year back has a rather um, hilarious thing about how um, securitisation of financial innovation may have contributed to the current situation. They obviously weren't being too bold at this point about what may have happened. BIS writing more recently has a much more hostile line to financial innovation, but not a line that they were peddling um, a year or two back. So different degrees of response to the crisis coming out in the various um, reports of the regulators. So the regulatory and kind of media and policy response to financial innovation has been shifting quite a lot, and I think we'll see some um, some further shifts in the next um, few weeks and months. What about um, academic responses, academic concepts of financial innovation? Well, the obvious place to start is in mainstream finance, and here finance is very much constructed as being an innovative project, the finance is seen as heroic, there's a lot of um, tautology in the... Um, in the use of the idea of innovation, innovation is something according to finance theories that leads to a net improvement in social welfare. Very much in line with sort of neoclassical ideas about innovation, and the proof is there that if it, um, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, if if these things like securitisation weren't leading to improvements in, in in social welfare, they wouldn't be innovations. It's very tautological. It's very circular. It's very inward-looking. Financial innovation is seen in a very functionalist way. Here are instruments that will improve the pricing of risk, reduce information asymmetries, make markets work better, and as we all know, if markets work better, then society improves. So it's a very internally focused um, discussion, and no relation at all to wider debates about innovation in social sciences. Behavioural finance is quite um, interesting, because the behavioural finance people, of course, have more questions about the rationality of individuals, but they don't really question the rationality of finance. So someone like Robert Schiller, Um, We have a quote from Robert Schiller more recently in the paper from 2008, and he says, now is not the time to stop innovating, we need more financial innovation. Financial innovation is what's going to get us out of this mess. So the behavioural finance people don't really give us the answer, they just a sort of different version of mainstream finance. And the book by Peter Bernstein, um, 1992, very much talks about this idea of kind of this intellectual revolution on Wall Street, you know, it's very much the idea of finance theorists as being heroic. You know, So it, it's very much in line with the kind of innovation as um, as revolution. If we turn to social science, of course, we see a whole series of much more interesting and critical perspectives on um, financial innovation. Um, if you look, for instance, at the social studies of finance, we see a very different approach to finance, an approach that's more ethnographic, um, people looking at the sites where innovation takes place. So a much more kind of cautious and nuanced idea about finance but very much falling in line in much of this work with this idea of the kind of heroic <coughs> nature of finance, um, very much taken up with the idea of the individuals being the medium for new kinds of technologies, for finance theory. These things are working through individuals. There isn't much questioning of the idea of um, financial innovation. In some senses, some of the discussion about performativity is, is not so far away from finance theory in many ways. So a different focus, but it's really retaining the idea of kind of heroic theory-led financial innovation. Pretended financialisation literature, the lots of us in this room (coughs) have been working on in the last few years. Well, clearly it's very broad, but it's obviously what unites it, I think, is a much more critical take on on finance and the growth of finance, and in particular a negative view about distributional outcomes, about who wins, who loses, the motives of finance, the role of financial elites, and all these other things. But very little interest in the innovation process itself. I think many of us who worked on financialisation have not tended to question some of the aspects of innovation and finance in very much detail. So in response to all of this, what we've been trying to do is think about different ways of um, understanding financial innovation, and we do it in three stages. The first is to start with the macro, because we can't ignore this, but in some senses the macro structural conditions are really a descriptive framework of what's been going on, and we could all around the room agree that there's been a series of things illustrated by this list in the last um, 30 years. The mobilisation of capital through deregulation, the privatisation of risk, the creation of mass mass investors, this wall of money in the form of various funds, the role of technologies which have different sorts of effects at the wholesale and the retail level. Finance theory is clearly important, it's not heroic, finance theory is relevant. What we have is a kind of semi-permanent macro frame since the uh, 1970s and 80s and a consensus about this which means that there's lots of money, it's looking for good returns. There's a shortage of good assets, there's a, there's a premium placed on new things in the wholesale markets. But this doesn't really tell us very much about how financial innovation happens inside this frame. What we have is a kind of descriptive framework. So what we then try to do is go forward into further stages and Abel's going to tell you about
1: that. Thank you very much, Julie. Um, yeah, so we sort of on the basis of a large number of vignettes coming from business press as well as sort of autobiographical autobiograph- bi- bi- uh, depictions of traders in the field, we came up with the need to find a different take on financial innovation, which steers in between these two sets of literature, doing away with the functionalist overtones, as well as with the heroic overtones. And what we sort of stumbled uh, 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 across was, on the one hand, the need to identify a different set or different change of conjun- conjunctures, which we call the Meso field. Uh, as well as the different uh, forms of agency that are being enacted and played out within these uh, meso-fields, and that is what we call the micro-agency. We try to describe these different elements of financial innovation by building forth upon what could be called a Brodelian multi-layered conceptualization of historical time, as well as a more anthropological, ethnographic take on uh, the practices that people actually use in order to find their way around in social reality. Um, let me talk first about the MESO field, the conjunctural opportunities. Um, what we sort of observe, if you overlook what happened in the financial markets from, let's say, the mid-1970s onward, that, that, that is a, a continuous change of periods of, let's say, four to seven years, in which a particular type of financial activity seems to be dominant and seems to be making, reaping, generating the most amounts of profit for a number of well-positioned players. And what we then see is that these different conjunctures are unstable in nature, for they always sort of disappear after this, after this particular period and get replaced after an initial uh, interregnum, as it was called this morning, uh, get replaced by another conjuncture. These conjunctures consist of uh, different asset prices, different flows of funds, also different business models and different intermediary opportunities for different well-placed uh, uh, intermediaries. Of course, there's also this ideological dimension in which a a narrative is actually minted to legitimate these intermediary uh, um, uh, opportunities, Um, and it is, of course, also charged by mass subjectivities: the financialized citizen, um, the the responsible borrower, etc., etc. What we see within these conjunctures is that they actually serve as fields of innovation. There are no property rights within finance. That means that there is a continuous uh, um, hunt for yield, uh, minting new, constructing new financial products in order to be able initially uh, excessive returns on these new financial products. But of course, the returns diminish rapidly. It's also based on a political division of labor. Uh, an example is the work being done by Olivier Godgeot, who points out that the hats of dealing floors actually serve like the putting out masters. They have a certain monopoly over information flows and the direction of a very intimate and intricate division of labor. And that is why they're able to generate excess return on the basis of their activities and their position. Another example, with political division of ownership, the two 20% fees that are connected to private equity funds for the managing partners, not for the limited liability partners. Okay, the second part of which our take on financial innovation consists of Bricolage, after Levi-Strauss, building up structures by fitting together events um, in contrast to science. So it's very much about arts, the arts of constructing new things from the ordinary and daily given. It is not about science. Um, and hence, it also means a breakaway from the connection with the rationality assumption that is underlying the science conceptualization of the innovative entrepreneur. Um, these different forms of innovation which are being produced by bricoleurs who sort of enact uh, the construction of different forms of newness out of uh, the daily life, uh, of course are embedded within longer change of financialization. We know that, um, uh, the cap- as being described by the Capitalization of Everything paper by Andrew Leach and Nigel Thrift, that a lot of retail products actually serve as the feedstock of all sorts of more sophisticated financial products, which also means, by the way, and it was mentioned this morning, a sort of blurring of the boundaries between retail financial markets and wholesale financial markets. Um, It is also built on very long chains which are highly fragile in nature, consisting of heterogeneous acts and different sorts of instruments. Um, The bricoleur as such, the the innovative agent as such, is no more than a note within this longer chain means that we can't sort of ex-ante identify where particular innovations take place. It's a sort of ex-post, laudatory concept which we use in order to identify particular forms of innovation within highly uncertain financial conjunctures. I emphasize that already. It is about the art of bricolage. It's not science. Um, It is an assembly of different types of activity which are being put together either within dealing floors, within financial firms, or by individual agents. So what we actually see is that on the one hand, um, highly sophisticated uh, theorems and mathematical techniques which come from mainstream finance theory are being read and used in order to assess the value of different assets next to another trader who uses very simple technical analysis or who uses chartist techniques in order to determine different valuations of different sorts of assets. And sometimes these different traders are being brought together in order to come up with a more robust assessment of different values. So it's a mixture of the old and the new at the same time. Um, successful bricolage. In order to be successful, you have to come up with continuous adaptation. I already mentioned that there are no property rights, which means rapidly decreasing uh, returns on different forms of financial products. So you have to find the new, new thing which might allow you for the next couple of months to reap access um, um, returns. This sort of hints at the importance of proximity, and that is indeed what we sort of observe. And we observe that financial, major financial centers are the locations where a lot of this sort of financial innovation activities takes place. Another striking observation that you can make from reading the newspaper and talking to these people is that the organization, the firm, the status of the firm is quite peculiar. For if you talk to bankers, it's obvious that what is what is what is worthwhile uh, of this banker is his clientele network, uh, his ability to sell financial products to this network that he has, and he takes that network if he moves to another firm. So even though he is an employee formally, he seems to be a sort of self-employed banker. We have a few banks, but we have a lot of bankers, and these bankers, as such, sort of uh, serve as individual banks. Um. Okay, so we sort of presented, and it's quite speculative, um, but it's born from, from, from outside of the sort of unsatisfactory claims that are being made both by the critical literature and by mainstream finance about what financial innovation is. We have used a number of observations coming from newspaper clippings as well as autobiographical sketches of what takes place, interviews of course with practitioners in financial markets, and have sort of digested from that a new take on financial innovation, consisted of a frame, a larger political institutional setting uh, in which a chain of conjunctures take place, which is driven by basically bricolage on an individual and firm level. Well, what comes out of this that is of course the question for we're right in the midst of quite a severe financial crisis so what kind of policy implications can you derive from that and it's of course obvious given the speculative nature and conceptual nature of the paper that that is very preliminary but well, one of the upshots that come from this take on financial innovation is that it is not a matter of more or less financial innovation what we sort of hint at thats that is that what is required is a very critical re- deconstruction of what financial innovation is and where it is actually coming from. And that basically means that we sort of are very much in favor. If you want to think about regulation, then the upshot seems to be that you need to have, well, as was mentioned by Graham Thompson, more flexible uh, firefighting forms of regulation which are able to respond to these different flurries of financial innovation and the conjunctures in which they take place. But also, and next to that, Uh, A return to a set of very basic questions which are quite existential basically in nature. How do societal formations generate and distribute the resources that are crucial for individuals and households to realize their life plans? That is basically the sort of question that needs to be asked and within the current debates about the financial markets that is a question that is not too often asked. Okay. By means of conclusion, what we've done, we've tried to get away from functionalist or heroic stances of uh, what is taking place in financial markets. We've emphasized a set of structural conditions. And in a sort of empirical descriptive sense, those conditions are well known for the audience in this in this room. But what is new, according to us, is linking that to a particular chain of conjunctural opportunities in which well-situated agents use their bricolaging arts in order to generate profits which uh, serve the interests as they see them. So it's conjunctural opportunities on the one hand, and it is bricolage, the art of bricolage on the other. And that results in a picture of financialized capitalism, which looks like a sort of mobile, resourceful, and fragile form of capitalism, in which all sorts of forms of fractal um, causality are at play, and with all sorts of unintended consequences also of political bricolage. We aim to build upon this paper and this particular conceptualization um, of financial innovation in order to find out more about these conjunctures, the boundaries between these conjunctures, how the shifts from one conjuncture to the other take place. We want to do multi-sided ethnographic research in the actual practices of bricolage. Um, we want to know whether there is some sort of varieties of capitalism take on bricolage and financial innovation. Do we observe particular settings? And what I mentioned about uh, major financial centres, which serve as the locus of financial innovation, does suggest that there are some institutional conditions which need to be present in order to be able to generate generate these particular types of financial innovation. The third issue is related to outcomes. What kind of outcomes in terms of the distribution of burdens and benefits with which uh, financial innovation is connected takes actually place and how can we sort of come up with policy proposals which might allow us to uh, come up with a more equal distribution of these very same benefits and burdens and that is of course also the fourth take that we have on financial innovation the fourth thing that we aim to do what kind of politics is required what, what kind of political opportunities can be identified in order to overcome the very unequal distribution of current burdens of financial innovation thank you